Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. I've considered Lacey Storms a friend for a few years, but oddly enough, I've never actually met her. I had found her on Facebook because of her performance horses, show jumping barefoot. We started chatting and have kept in touch over the last four or five years. Recently, a few high-level show jumpers, Julian Epayard, Henrik von Eckermann, Peter Fredrickson, and a handful of others, have started cleaning up in the show jumping ring on their barefoot horses. Since this seemed to be gaining some traction in the upper levels, I asked Lacey if she would talk about her journey with her horses and what their routine and management program looks like. So uh, why don't we start? And for people that are listening, can you just say like what okay. kind of riding you do? Like what, what, kind of, what kind of showing you do? What kind of riding you do? What levels you're in? Um, how many horses you have? Sure. Yeah, I, say, I think right now this morning we have 15 head of horses on the property. I only have a two and a half acre ranch up in Acton and my family bought it almost 40 years ago. Uh, it was a hill. It was a hillside. So how we developed it over the years was putting in on kind of terraces. So everything's either uphill or downhill, but it's great. Uh, it keeps everybody, including the humans that have to walk it every day in shape. Max capacity I have here is 25 horses, you know, but I like it that way better because I'm focused more on quality versus quantity and what I want to get done and being solution oriented and, and really having goals, you know, for each horse and stuff here. I got my background, my mom, my mom and dad, my dad's a retired LA city firefighter. My mom uh, grew up training and running her whole, her own businesses uh, since she was in her early twenties. And she grew up in the very competitive world of hunters. So she did hunters in the 70s and 80s and um, very orthodox, very traditional, you know, uh, kind of the old school hunters. And then when I was born, I grew up doing ponies, pony hunters, pony equitation, all the junior medal finals, children medal finals. I didn't get to dabble in a lot of the upper level medal finals as a junior. Uh, I didn't get to do a ton of the 3-6 medal finals. I didn't go back east, kind of which what everybody does when they're getting ready to age out at 17. But I had a lot of really cool opportunities to ride some really unique horses. And then I got into kind of, I got my first official jumper when I was 19. And his name was Teddy. He was an off-track thoroughbred who was extremely hot. And we either won the class or we not necessarily crashed, but, you know, I was either on the ground and he was running away loose or something to that nature. It was kind of funny. But yeah, we either won or one of us, usually me, was on the other side of the jump somewhere. <laughs> I grew up here on this ranch, and now my business is called Storms Horsemanship and Show Jumping. Uh, within the last four years or so, five years, I started to get into a lot more general horsemanship and just good training. I have a lot of clients that are different breeds. So Andalusian, I have a a wonderful lady who is an Andalusian breeder and trainer, and I work with getting her and her horses just well-trained, you know, good horsemanship. About four years ago, I started working with my coach, Alan Clark, out in Temecula, and just learning kind of the uh, graduate school program, as I like to call it, for horsemanship. My whole life, even as a teenager, I worked with, when I was younger, through my early 20s, I worked a lot with Paco, learned a lot from him. 
he was a Pirelli rated instructor and then kind of branched off into his own world. But I've always been fascinated by horse psychology and how horse body language works and how her dynamics work. So looking back on it now, it kind of only made sense that I wandered kind of naturally and organically into the way of barefoot because it was kind of like the next phase of that where I was with in my career. And my poor farrier growing up, I would always sit with him and talk with him and bug him and ask him, you know, well, why do you do this? Or what's this for? What does this do? You know, so I've always been a really curious person. And I always want to know why, you know, I want the information more than anything. And ever since I started with Sam, I just keep asking questions, you know, and, and the questions that I'm asking get answers that make sense and that are reasonable. And, you know, I've transitioned that in, you know, not only show jumping, but like I said, a lot of other clients that are trail riding. I have one client who does the extreme cowboy racing and I love working with her. It's a blast. I really like working with anybody and everybody that wants to understand why and how horses do what they do and how to get them to understand what we want to do with them. And that philosophy of you're either training or you're untraining, Right. you know? Can you tell us how you got interested in keeping your horses barefoot? Sure. Yeah, I, uh, it was 2009. I remember it vividly, actually, the phone call. I was on kind of the middle of my cancer, all my cancer treatment. In 2008, I started cancer treatment for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and then found out in late 2009 that I was going to have to get a stem cell transplant. So this would have been like late summer 2009. Um, I had just gotten a horse in that was an older horse uh, that was barefoot. And at the time, I was working with a natural horsemanship trainer by the name of Paco Vela. He has since passed away. But one day, he and I were talking, and I said, yeah, you know, when we start jumping him, I'm going to need to put some shoes on him. And he looked at me, and he goes, why? And I said, well, that's just what we do. You know, when they start jumping or, you know, we compete more, we put shoes on him. That's just what I grew up doing. That's what my mom grew up doing just what we did and uh he goes let me give you a phone number and he gave me a phone number for samantha perry who is now samantha tucker and i remember vividly sitting in i think it was it's a grind coffee house in santa clarita parking lot giving her a call and her answering the phone and basically me getting into a three-hour long conversation with her sitting in my car about barefoot and going that route and just giving me kind of a mini tutorial, I mean, a, a three-hour mini tutorial from her lifetime of experience. And I just remember I couldn't meet her fast enough. I couldn't read her emails fast enough. I couldn't start reading, you know, books and articles and anything I could get my hands on fast enough. And I think within a week, she could get me on her schedule and came out and we trimmed the one horse, the first horse that was already barefoot. And by that point, I had already started thinking about, you know, starting the journey with a couple of others. And I said, well, let's just try it. And one thing led to another. My mom kind of thought I was crazy at first. She goes, why are you doing this? You know, why are you starting this now? And I kind of just was like, well, shoot, let's just try it. So I tried it with a few of my older, more retired ones first, watched how they handled it, learned. And then before I, I think within like six months, I had shoes off of everything here. Um, you know, except for like select clients, horses and stuff that didn't want to go that route. And then we just kind of jumped in the pool and just started swimming. But yeah, it's funny what, you know, I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday, but I remember that conversation with her from 11 years ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so when you're, when you're talking about the show jumping side of things, 
How high are your barefoot horses jumping? So I'm breaking into the meter 35, meter 40 rings. Um, I had a couple of horses a few years ago that I was dabbling and doing that more consistently. And But when I had started with them, they were already on the older side, you know, and had already had large jumping careers. And so, you know, arthritis started to catch up with them. Things that were outside of having to do with barefoot. So within the last, I don't know, six or seven years are kind of the first group of horses that I got as four and five-year-olds that were barefoot. Or, you know, my four and a half-year-old now, I got him at 18 months old and got to really bring him along as my first barefoot young horse, you know, and my next adventure I'd like to do is to have a really young one, you know, six month old or even younger and bring that one up through the barefoot routes and, and talk with my trimmers and learn from my trimmers how to do full trimming and how to read and understand young feet. So I've kind of just, you know, been 11 years into this and it's been in kind of two waves. The first wave were, you know, former older Grand Prix horses that were coming down from their big jumping careers to, you know, give me the opportunity to kind of get into some meter 20, meter 30 adult jumpers. At that point, I was still riding as an adult amateur. I didn't turn professional until I was 28. I very much wanted to ride as a amateur for 10 years uh, to get the experience and to understand what it was like to ride as an amateur before while I was in college and before I decided to go pro. So I turned pro when I was 28. And that was kind of a big transition kind of group of years into some, you know, up and coming horses for me. And then now I'm just kind of getting back into, I had a really successful winter with my bay horse uh, doing the meter 35s and my chestnut. Um, I do around the meter 20s with her. We're getting ready to move her up. And, and in fact, she's going to do her first Grand Prix in about two weeks. And she is 11, but was always a very tricky ride and a very difficult horse to get going and to get uh, trained. So I think in the next few years, we're going to push her up and be able to do, you know, some of the higher heights that I'd like to do. And then I'd really like to, when she gets older, do the uh, derbies with her because her technique is correct enough, but she just was probably the most difficult horse I've ever had as far as the years and years to put into getting her really, really trained. So I'm excited to see where that goes in a few years. But, you know, with all the horses, I didn't have, let's just say, for lack of better explanation, I didn't have a meter 50 horse not going, not because they were barefoot, but more because of other reasons. One, getting a horse that's that quality, being ready for a horse that was that quality. I wasn't ready for that horse five or six years ago. But I think, and I, I shouldn't say I think, I know now that... And I've known for a long time it can be done. It just, uh, you know, I'm still kind of at the next point in my career now where I want to go get some mileage in the meter 40 and 45 Grand Prix. I've done a few Grand Prix in the meter 40, meter 35 range. But my next goal over the next five years or so is to move into the meter 40, meter 45 Grand Prix and get more experience. And I would love to do it on my horses as barefoot horses. But getting to that level, you have to have a very kind of specific kind of horse and if that comes along in the way of a client owned horse that wants to go the traditional route you know that's fine too obviously if it's one that I own I really want to jump Grand Prix horses barefoot that is my dream I really enjoy doing it 
Yeah. And I've been following your Facebook page too, which is it called Lacey Storm's Barefoot Show Jumping USA or something along those lines? Yeah. Lacey yeah. Storm's Barefoot Jumping USA. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to give people a place where they could go find information out about doing it without feeling like it was kind of overwhelming. And, you know, I remembered vividly when I was sick and I was getting through my cancer journey. I had a really aggressive late stage cancer. So it was pretty scary. And there were times that I just didn't want to listen to anybody else that hadn't been through something like that before. You know, I remember when I started, you know, being a couple of years into being barefoot, I didn't find a lot of people that were already doing it. I, I, I knew they probably by chance existed. But, you know, early on, I didn't really know of any of like the Facebook pages we have now, you know, the internet got so much more open for information. Over the last few years, it's kind of opened up a floodgate, but it was a little intimidating at first. I relied a lot on Sam and John. They're a husband and wife trimming team, you know, and their experience. But it would have been nice to feel like there was another person there that I could have asked questions to and bounced ideas off of. So I kind of felt like I wanted to get to a point where I could be that for other people. And I'll never go on there and preach or make anybody feel bad about the decisions they're going to do for their horse. But I wanted to feel like people knew they had someone they could reach out to for information or some guidance because it's nice to feel like you're not alone when you're doing something different because different can be really intimidating and change can be really intimidating to a lot of people. Yeah. And I think it's really common for people to think, you know, performance horses, horses that are showing they're traditionally shot and and a lot of them are like kept in stalls or not turned out or. um, Yes. And can you kind of talk a little bit about the management of your horses and how that might be different in terms of, you know, considerations for having healthy feet barefoot and what might influence that? Yeah, absolutely. The biggest factor in my pyramid personally is movement. I would say closely followed by my trimmer and having a really, really good barefoot trimmer. And her and her husband, I I use the word singular, but I really mean for both of them because they both work on my horses and have different routines and programs with each one of my horses. Um, And they both taught me how to trim. You know, I'm by no means a professional, but I can definitely go trim any of my horses intermittently or or if they're gone on vacation, you know, adequately. And I like having that power and I like feeling like I have the education to know how to do that properly. But our management here, you know, we're technically still stalled horses. Um, You know, I have a couple of pastures throughout the day that I rotate horses in, or they'll stay in during the day, or they'll go out to at night. But I think technically, you know, my horses are still in there. You know, all my stalls are uh, 12 by 24 pipe crowls, um, with usually kind of a shavings area in the back, because they are show horses, and they do sometimes lay down. So I do want to give them place, you know, I can't show up to the show ring with a horse with a bloody hawk, you know, so they do like to lay down and I do want to give them a place to lay down, but we're really adamant, you know, we clean our stalls two times a day, you know, I'll go ride all day and then take a break in the afternoon, I go help and feed in the evenings and then I'm down there cleaning stalls too, because I really want wherever their feet are going to be to not be standing in, in manure or urine at any point, but I'm really adamant about being on a very definite schedule of them being out and moving as much as I can and doing a lot of group turnouts. I have a big pasture in the corner of my ranch that we rent from, you know, my neighbors and we put three or four horses out there at a time because if you just put one out there, they're going to kind of just sit and sleep all day. But you put four, 
they're going to go chase each other and bug each other and, and, you know, go play a little bit, which I also really appreciate because I feel like it keeps the old ones young and the young ones kind of get brought up by the old don't mess with me geldings. You no. Know? So I don't, I think nothing raises another horse better than another horse. You know, we still feed a lot of our horses get a soaked alfalfa blend cube, you know, alfalfa Timothy blend cube. So it's as low carb and as low uh, sugar as we can do, but we still definitely need to realize their horses in full training. I do have some on the IR diet, so they get soaked Timothy pellets. They don't have a ounce of alfalfa or any sugar in their diet. Um, I have some that uh, get zero alfalfa and they just are on basically a, a Bermuda grass hay during the day, a little bit of supplements at night, copra, beet pulp if they need it. You know, we really kind of take the time and I got to give a lot of credit to my mom. Um, she really works hard to keep everybody on a really personalized nutritional schedule. And I, and I, I have to give a lot of credit to Sam too, Samantha. She did Dr. Kellen's course. You know, she's my go-to with questions like, what do you think about this? Or how do you think about this? You know, and I have to say, you know, like in most things that I've ever read having to do with barefoot, a lot of it comes back to diet, almost all of it. And you know, getting them off of the iron. I pulled all the horses off of iron supplements once I read what that was doing and could do with their bodies, you know, and inflammation. Because if you think about it, it just made sense. You know, humans are the same way. You eat sugar and carbohydrates all day long. You're just constantly inflamed. You're, you're having an inflammatory response. And, you know, I've noticed on my insulin resistant ones, you know, my two thoroughbreds um, that are on that diet, you know, for a variety of reasons within four months of having that diet, they were different horses. One was the most sound he's ever been. You know, he's pretty much retired because he came off the track crippled. Um, I never kind of got him back going again. I thought he was neurologic, thought he had some other stuff, kissing spines maybe going on. And right now, you know, after five years of trimming and another five years of, you know, planning and kind of figuring out his diet, he's the soundest I've ever seen him. You know, and that's a 11-year-old thoroughbred. And just like anything, you kind of start thinking about it and deducting it back. It just makes sense. You know, I think single-handedly what has allowed me to do this, the three pillars are movement, my trimmers, and group turnouts. And letting them, encouraging them to be horses. Yeah, absolutely. And movement is like, it's so it's the perfect way to develop the foot. I mean, if you think of it as an organ that needs stimulation to strengthen movements, how you get that done, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned your trimmers and I was wondering if you have to do any different style of trimming for show jumping. Do you do anything to add traction? Do you trim any differently than you would for a horse that, you know, is maybe just like a pleasure riding horse? You know, I really let Sam and John, I, I trust them so much with their knowledge and their experience. I let them make those calls. Sam and John and I have always had a very kind of strong feelings about we want to make our transition as fast as possible. We don't want to, you know, be short-sighted and not, you know, give the horses, you know, time because time and patience are really what it's about. But we also don't, we don't have the time to do a five or six year transition. So we're doing more aggressive trim styles. We're bringing the toes back. We're really 
asking the foot to get healthier as fast as we can. Tons of movement, a diet change, you know, like it's kind of all hands on deck because I don't have the time with these horses to take five or six years to get a transition. Because some of them, you know, the crushed heeled horses, which is really common in these off-track thoroughbreds, that's a painful, long-term commitment to kind of get those heels working and being healthy again. You know, or if they're coming, if you have a, you know, some laminitis history or quarter cracks, I've had several with quarter crack problems that came to me and took time to get healed, let alone getting back to a career. But the movement, along with the balance, along with the diet, kind of all came hand in hand to get the horses healthier while at the same time getting back to the show. So we're all on the same plane and the same idea of getting a sound, healthy, balanced foot. And because then at that point, it can trail ride, it can go jump, it can go pull a cart, it can go do anything. And the only time we do adjust the trim a little bit is if I'm showing on turf. But I've also learned that if the horse has enough concavity and their foot, you know, is able to really dig into the uh, turf like it's supposed to, um, my flat-footed horses, we do have to do a little bit of a different trim. But the ones I've had lately, we didn't even have to do a different trim on them. You know, I've, I've showed them a few times on turf and they felt amazing, you know, but we definitely look at the foot and for the flatter footed horses, we just basically leave a little bit more bar, kind of make it a little bit, kind of uh, take a rasp and kind of make it a little bit not smooth and kind of a little jaded. Uh, we won't basically Mustang roll. The toe is nice and pretty. We'll leave it a little bit raw, a little bit maybe craftily at the bottom. If that is what the hoof's doing. Like, right before it would get a trim. Basically what we do is we wouldn't trim it before the horse show. My horses are all on about a two to four week trim. All my going, showing, riding everyday horses, you know, are on a very regular trim just because that's how much foot they grow. So basically they're getting trimmed almost like every other week to two weeks. So we would just go, oh, hey, if you're showing on turf, we won't touch that one up and make it look pretty or, you know, do a brand new Mustang roll on it like we would just in normal, you know. But as far as like showing in Southern California, so many of so many of our shows are on that kind of GGT footing, those European textile footings. I noticed the horses do fine. It, at times, I've even noticed the footing is almost too soft for them. Personally, I feel my horses jump on really well on a DG sand mixture. Uh, my personal arena is sand when people think I'm crazy, but it, it works wonderful. You know, my horse's feet look great. They're nice and dry and tough. The sand really helps with decontracting a horse too, kind of quickly, because that when they put their foot down, they're getting kind of a pressure back with the sand. But in California, we get, you know, all the facilities out here, we get spoiled. You know, they all have these lovely, you know, footings and all this money put into these world-class facilities. And you know, it's kind of fun to go jump the barefoot horses on it because it does feel different. Some of mine, on some footing, they feel like they're even more springy. It's wild. And then other ones will feel like they get a little stuck in it, like it's a little too soft. You know, but nothing to where it's ever made me concerned. Like they jump great. They're super sound. You know, they leave the, the show that week, you know, no swelling. They're not, you know, tender. They're not off. They're not stiff. It's kind of fun to feel like you're leaving the show you know, with good and healthy legs kind of versus going, oh gosh, my horse has been showing for six or seven days. I mean, that's an exaggeration, you know, showing seven days, but you kind of go wrapping and you're starting to do some different medications and you kind of get worried. They definitely come out 
stiffer and sore after a few days. And at the shows, half the time you're in not your normal living situation. You're in, in stalls and shavings. And so what we do is my clients and I have one client who literally we stay usually on property with the horses wherever they're staying. She's out walking her horse at 11 o'clock at night, five o'clock in the morning. You know, we're out there, we're moving them, we're walking them. If I have access to a pasture, I'll go use it for a couple of hours. You know, just trying our best to keep as much movement as they would be getting at home. And you can't always do it. It's hard. You have to manage it. But, you know, we do the best we can. We get spoiled, too, because at our ranch here in Acton, we are backed up against a lot of mountains. So I have huge mountains behind my house to go and condition the horses on and get their feet out on and go walk on rocks and shale and, you know, all the hard elements that are the high desert. And that really helps a lot too. Yeah. That helps a lot. That's really cool. Um, and actually, you know, I know that we've talked about this before, but I've been following some of the show jumpers and I'm not a show jumper. I'm, you know, I grew up doing basic level dressage. I'm now a trail rider, but I've been following some of these show jumpers. Um, and I think a few are even headed to the Olympics that have barefoot horses now. And this is something that's newer for them, I think, that they've kind of broken into the barefoot world too. And have you you know, heard anything about them or their management or, you know, how they're doing it? You know, uh, probably not any more than you. You know, I know a group of us kind of talk offline about you know, trying to find out some more information. You know, I wish that I could be over there right now and, and go sit in the barn and, and watch these horses, watch how they're managed, watch what kind of footing they're being ridden on. Because, you know, I love learning and I love learning how to maybe do something better. You know, and I would really, really be curious and, and like to see how these horses are being managed, um, you know, because I just I'm conflicted a little bit because I know how difficult transitions can be depending on the pathology and the damage that is within the foot. You know, I've had some transitions go really fast and some of them take two years and I would love to ask the people that are managing these horses, the trimmers, the people that are designing their diets, I would like to see what they're doing. I would like to see because, you know, as excited as I am to see it, I'm thrilled. I think it's great. I love it when stigmas kind of get blown up a little bit. I love seeing it at the top level of the sport becoming normalized. I think it's kind of funny that here in the United States, you know, the group of us, and, and I got to give credit to Katie Pontone, you know, she's done so much back, like homework to find out who these people are, where these horses are coming from, you know, and, and she did it just out of pure work of finding this information. And I basically, I, I go plagiarize her information a little bit and go, okay, how is this happening? Who is this? Where did this come from? You know, she knows, you know, so I have to give her credit because she's done so much homework for it. And I think it's, She's trying to find the information because those of us that really want to know the information need to get it. But I'm also a little bit skeptical because just in my personal journey, you know, I've never had a horse, let's just say jumping meter 30 when I got it and me take it, start the barefoot transition and jumping meter 30 again, you know, competitively within three to four months. I'm not saying it can't be done, but I've just not had that type of situation happen. Usually they they have a transition period, uh, depending on the horse, depending on what you're fixing. You know, within 
I don't know, five, six months to two years, you know, you're back where you were at, if not farther, which is usually always the goal. I think it can be done. I'm curious how they're trimming these horses. You know, I think if I could fly over there and I would like to be a fly on the wall for a day in their stable, I'd like to see how they're trimming them. I'd like to see what they're feeding them, what they're living on. I've spent some time in Germany and in Europe, and I have a pretty good idea of what I think they're doing. But the other thing is, you know, with them traveling so much and being on a on on the road, I don't know, you know, my trimmer's always told me, she's like, the hoof will adapt to what it's exposed to, you know, and if it's only exposed to soft footing, it will only be comfortable in soft footing. So she's always told me from day one, do your best to get on all the footing you possibly can. Go right on grass, go right on gravel, go right on pavement, go right up the side of the mountain. And then I've noticed my horses consistently stay comfortable in all types of footing. But with these horses, I don't imagine with the schedules they have, and I could be wrong, that they're out climbing and scaling the sides of mountains. You know, I, I don't imagine that they're out doing two hour long trail rides in the, in the mountains somewhere. I could be wrong. You know, this is a very sweeping statement, but I really wish I, I'd love to have the opportunity to be a fly on the wall to see what they're doing, how they're doing it. Because I would love, I love learning. So if there's an opportunity for me to learn how to do something even better, I am all for it. Yeah. And if anybody listening knows how to get in touch with them, I've tried to message a handful of the people that um, Katie uh, gave me names for. And I've messaged grooms of theirs or even people that, you know, are associated with them. And I haven't heard back. So if anyone knows <laughs> how to get in touch with some of these guys, it'd be really amazing just to chat with them and see what they're doing. Yeah, you know, and, and not from a we're trying to look in your sock drawer, I guess, or your underwear drawer point of view. But man, if you know something that we could all use to do this better, you know, because I don't know what their mindset is. I feel like over there, it's no big deal that they're in barefoot horses. They're just another horse that's jumping and winning and getting videos and, you know, sponsors and how the, the machine works over there. I only think that it's being announced that they're barefoot is because Katie's catching it and posting about it. I don't know that there, I could be wrong. I don't know that there are like articles, this person's jumping meter 60 going to the Olympics barefoot. I don't know that that's a big deal over here. We're here. I mean, this is the first wave of riders I've ever seen or know, known about that we're doing it consistently at this level. I hope it stays consistent. I hope they're still doing it in two or three years because I think if they are, that will really change a lot of ideas and ideals within all of course management that it can be done. It might not be for everybody. It might not be what everybody wants to do. You know, I will never preach to someone or try to convert them. That's not what I'm about. But I think that if we can see that it can be done, we see how it is done. Man, I think that just really allows, I mean, can you think of the, how much longer a lot of horses will stay sound? I feel like for horse welfare, it could be a really great thing. I mean, for FEI now, you can't go clip their horse's sensory hairs. I think that's great. I haven't clipped my horses in 15 years because I knew about, you know, the science behind the sensory hairs and in their brain and how they're getting feedback and stuff. But it's like if that's starting to become normalized, well, then why can't barefoot? Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of addicting. You know, when you can kind of see, for example, there's a, a couple horses recently that have had their shoes pulled and you see that growth line coming down. 
and what the lamina connection looks like above that growth line and below that growth line, it's impressive. You know, and it's like when you can see like tangible things, you can actually feel with your fingers changing on their feet. It's just, it's unbelievable. To me, it's amazing how smart the horse's hoof is and how it really changes and fixes a lot of things. You know, I've learned over the years when I kind of get their feet healthier and more balanced, my horses are healthier and more balanced. They move better. They jump better, which is what I need to be competitive, you know, and you know, it's just, it's just fun to, there's been a few times I'll go and, and ride and jump a shod horse again. And it does feel very different than a barefoot horse, you know, with their foot mechanism working differently. I can definitely feel it. And other people that I've asked say the same thing. You wouldn't think so, but you definitely can. I think it's an interesting time. It's exciting. I'm holding my breath a little bit because I hope it's not a fad. I think barefoot gets chalked up a lot as being a fad. And I think if you do it right and you make a commitment to it, you educate yourself on it. I think it can be a lifelong commitment to your horses, you know, and, and, you know, I've watched horses get sounder as they get older and that's not normal in our world. That's just not normal. You know, they have a, a lot of them have an expiration date, you know, and it's neat to see one get sounder as it gets older and to watch their foot get healthier, you know, cause it's like, we're, we're just feeding it. We're just trimming it. We're just moving the foot, but the horse is having to get it healthier. And it's just, it's so dynamic. And once you really understand how the hoof works, it's, it's kind of like I've turned into a hoof geek, you know, like I could talk about it for, you know, days because it's just impressive. You know, it's just, it's kind of shocking. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what the foot can do and how it's connected to the whole body. And it's really that cliche of no hoof, no horse, man, that is so true. The five heartbeats, you know, when you really look at the anatomy, it just makes sense. So why would I not want to have all of those things working in my favor when I'm cantering down to a jump? I never was really worried about when I first started it, if it was going to be a problem or not. It was like, well, if I want this 1400 pound animal to land on the backside of the jump, I want it to land as securely and as safely as I possibly can. You know, it just, it, I just kind of started to just get really kind of logical in a way about it. Yeah. Too much made sense. Like when you really started to deduct it, you were like, well, why not? You know, well, why not? Well, why? You know, and I, and I couldn't get good enough answers to the why not. So I just kind of stuck with the, well, I'm going to try it, you know, and see what happens. And, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I've had some tough horses, tough transitions, a few heartbreaks, you know, um, especially on some of the off-track thoroughbreds, really looking at a lot of bone degradation, looking at coffin bones that are just malformed. That's a whole separate topic, but I don't, I I wouldn't go back and change it for anything. Yeah. It's single-handedly allowed me to have the horses I have to the soundness that I have them at with the longevity that I've been able to have with them. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, all the questions I had, although before you wrap up, do you have any like last minute advice for people that are thinking of maybe taking their performance horses barefoot? Yeah. You know, trust your instinct. I had a lot of people and a lot of farriers tell me it just couldn't be done. Some of the best trainers in the industry 
just told me it couldn't be done. It's just not what you do. And, you know, I think if you're around horses for a long time, you really kind of start to think like them and you anticipate them. And if it's working, why not? You know, it's the definition of insanity. If doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, if your horse isn't getting sounder, if your horse isn't improving, try something different. I know a lot of people get into the barefoot route out of a last effort. It's the last thing they can do, you know, and, and it's kind of funny. I'll have friends now and other trainers that'll laugh with me and they're like, you know, I retired that 21 year old horse. And let me tell you the last six months that he's been running out in pasture with no shoes on is the soundest I've seen him in the last five years. And I just kind of look at them and blink, you know, and I'm like, don't you think that's telling you something? I think you have to get a team around you that you really trust. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Be annoying with the question asking. Get in a barefoot trimmer that you can have, you know, hour-long, multi-hour-long conversations with that wants to educate you, not just treat you like a client that really wants to invest in your education and to just trust your gut. If it feels like the right thing to do, then keep finding the people that will support you. I think you have to be realistic with your expectations. If your horse is at an equestrian center in a stall 23 hours a day, I don't know how successful it will be. It might be successful. It might just take a lot longer. I don't know because that's not an environment that I've done this with. I think there are people that have done it. But I just don't have enough experience in it to say it can or can't be done. I think it's definitely more challenging. So in in Southern California, for example, not a ton of people have their own ranches. A lot of equestrian facilities out here are like large equestrian centers, you know, where the horses are in stalls or out on the hot walker. They're in their stalls for anywhere from 20 to 22 hours a day. I don't know how successful the barefoot approach can be in that, but I wouldn't let that deter you. I would just keep gathering information, surround yourself with a team of people that can give you a lot of information and a lot of knowledge, and just keep asking questions and read anything you can get your hands on and reach out to people like me or to you, Alicia. I mean, that's how I reached out to you. I didn't know you. I just started reaching out going, I have some diet questions I want to ask you and Allie, you know, and I met Katie Pontone through the barefoot world, you know, and you kind of become internet friends. You know, I've never met you face-to-face. I've never met Allie face-to-face. I met Katie face-to-face. But, you know, I think we all kind of have that common goal. So being there and available to, to help each other out, I think is the biggest thing. You know, and trusting yourself. Trust your instinct. Trust your gut. If it doesn't feel right, then don't do it. As far as with people telling you you can't do it or your vet telling you you can't do it. There's factors, there are are things you're going to have to manage, and it's just about being really realistic with what you can manage and what you can't manage. Yeah, absolutely. If you would have told me sooner than when I found it about barefoot, I would have thought you were full crock. Like, that's not what we do. I had to be ready to receive the information. Yeah, exactly. I think that's just hard, you know, and you have to really be able to check your ego a bit and push it aside to be able to go, well, maybe what I was doing for 20, 30 years wasn't working as well as it could. Let's try something else. That's, that's really hard for people. Just do your best. That's all you can do. Awesome. Well, I can, I'll get this to you as soon as I'm done editing it and you can let me know what you think. Okay. Well, I really appreciate the, uh, the opportunity and letting my voice be heard. And, um, 
it's fun to kind of feel like this has come full circle. If you would have told me I've been doing this 11 years ago, I thought I would have thought you were crazy. So. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I think it was a lot of fun. You did a great job. Thanks, Alicia. I appreciate it. And I'll, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, sounds good. Have a good rest of your day. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I always say that I'm slightly more hoof obsessed than the average person. And chances are, if you're listening to a hoof care podcast, you are too. So we should probably be friends. Feel free to find me on Facebook or email me at thehumblehoof at gmail.com.